Hey, what's up, nerds? And now, back by popular demand, it's time for the top five list. Okay. Well, we got so much positive feedback on the uh, top five robots that we're going to start making a top five list for every episode. Yay. Yeah. I think it's because everyone likes to hear me win the top five list every week <laughs> against Chris. Yeah. And, That's it. And then he far- farms out other people to like get his back, but whatever. Well, actually, I've now started paying people to do my <laughs> top five list. So, all right. Anyway, you go first. Uh, what's the top five on this week, Chris? Debut albums. Now, and it's not, it's debut albums that meant something to us. Yes. Yes. Because they- we could have been posers and just said, Led Zeppelin. Fleetwood Mac, freaking Leonard Skinner. But no, we're picking albums that meant something to us. Are there really Fleetwood Mac posers? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm a Fleetwood Mac. No, actually, I'm not a Fleetwood Mac poser. I legitimately like Fleetwood Mac. Well, you're my gypsy, Chris, and we're going to start this right now. with um, I had coming in at number five for me on debut albums was when I saw these guys first play when I went to Lollapalooza 2 and uh, most of our listeners weren't even alive yet then on the second stage Rage Against the Machine debut album self-titled dude I love Rage Against the Machine I love them and I thought about picking them but I realized that I liked some of their other albums more than their debut one so well fuck you i won't do what you tell me all right so my number five i did them in order since i've been berated for not doing them in order is yaz's upstairs at eric which came out in (laughs) 1982 (laughs) you know what fuck you johnny you know what I listened to the shit out of this in high school. All I needed was the love you gave. <laughs> All I needed for another day. You know I dress for every situation. Okay. Dude, upstairs at Eric's, I was dying when I saw your list because I remember when my brother was in eighth grade and I was in fifth grade, he was, uh, his love interest at the time, he wrote out the lyrics to Only You for Jenny Sham. And I remember when it got to like the instrumental section, he put in parentheses, sounds fully cool. (laughs) (laughs) And he would have got away with it too. But when I came in his room, he's like, get out. Like he was really aggressive towards me. So then of course I'm like, what the fuck is he protecting so much in there? You know, I, I, uh, I would probably do the same if I were in Billy's shoes. I wouldn't want anyone catching me doing that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay, coming in at number four for me is a band that, well, right when I heard it, you got to fight for your right to party. I think I took that for the next 20 Hold years. Hold it, don't tell life. me. Don't tell me. Let me guess. Uh, Run DMC? That would be Licensed to Ill by the Beastie Boys, Oh, Chris. that was my second choice. That was my second choice. Um, Beastie Boys... They do one of my favorite songs ever. Probably top five favorite songs would be Sabotage. I looked into this to pick it, but then I knew that you were going to do it, so I bowed out. And it's all yours, Johnny. Chris, do you even realize who did the guitar for No Sleep Till Brooklyn? No. 
That would be Mr. Kerry King of Slayer. I did not know that. Yes, because Rick Rubin produced the album, and he also had Slayer at the time. So there okay. you go. All right, moving on. My second, or no, excuse me, my fourth choice <clears throat> would be Stone Temple Pilots Core that came out in 1992. And yeah. <laughs> so the thing about this album that I thought was interesting is that at the... Uh, Rolling Stones and 1994 Music Awards, it both won the Best New Band and Worst New Band Award. Wow. Yeah. So how did that happen? Well, I'm going to give it up for local boys because Scott Weiland did, in fact, attend uh, Edison High School in Huntington Beach and uh, played under the band's name, their first band, uh, Mighty Joe Young. I did not know that. I'm full of this. You're like the Cliff Clavin of top five lists. Yeah. I uh, didn't pay attention in school and I was just thinking of this shit all day. So. All right. We'll go to my number three. And right when I heard it, it was amazing. It was great storytelling. It was robbery. It was drug dealings. It was everything I was going through in the rough streets of Newport Beach when this album came out. And that would be Easy Does It by Easy Motherfucking E. So this was another one. I, dude, I didn't really get into rap, and we, like N.W.A., Dr. Dre, Ice, any of them, Easy, until later. Like, I would have been a poser. If t- I would have selected that, I would have been a poser. Are you talking that there wasn't a budding emerging scene of hip hop in Utah at the time? Well, you can kind of consider um, Donnie and Marie maybe in that I that genre more punk rock than anything. <laughs> That's true. Okay, my number three album is Nine Inch Nails' Pretty Hate Machine, which came out in 1989. Dude, I almost had this on my list. I love that album. This, so actually I learned quite a bit in the last couple months about this album because they had the documentary Defiant Ones on HBO. Yes. uh, And they go into this that when Trent Reznor turned in this album to his record label, the president of the company, Steve Gottlieb, Uh, called the album an abortion he hated it which dude this is like one of the few albums the first time i heard it i was completely blown away and would just listen to the album over and over again and another thing that i learned about this is that trent reznor played every um Instrument? instrument while he didn't have a band he did everything himself and then after the album came out and when they were touring on it he built a band uh, around himself to go out and perform. And it was so ahead of its time. Amazing album. I mean, now when you listen to it and you hear like a fax machine in the background, you're like, oh, that's... But at the time, dude, it was... it was... Hit me on the hip. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Coming in at number two for me, just barely number two instead of number one, would be... A group that, you know, they had punk rock, they had hip-hop, they had reggae. There was nothing like it at its time when they came out. Now there's been a whole genre of music, and that would be Sublime's 40 Ounce to Freedom. You know, living in Long Beach, completely submerged in the sublime culture in the 90s. Like, everything was sublime. Um, that's a good choice. It's a good choice. Um, I'm really curious to hear what your number one is then. 
So my number two is Allison Chain's facelift, which came out in 1990. Uh, Chris, is is uh, any of your people on your list, are they even alive? <laughs> no, I really, I gravitate toward people that die of drug overdoses. Usually heroin. And actually, <clears throat> so Lane Staley, the lead singer of Allison Chain's. Yeah. His death, when celebrities die, you know, it's tragic when anyone dies, but I don't seems like there are emotional vampires out there and everyone freaks out when the celebrity dies. I don't, I'm not really that person. I mean, I think it's tragic, but Lane Staley. He had a shitty death. Dude. dude, In the time I was on drugs, I read about his death. He was dead in his apartment for like two, like, dude, it was like two weeks, two weeks. He was rotting away. And I remember like, Oh God, that could be me. The thing about this album that I didn't know about is that, before they released it, um, the record label to test the waters released the song "We Die Young." The feedback that they got overwhelmingly was that Lane Staley's voice was all wrong, which oh. to me, I crazy now to hear that. Yeah, crazy now. Legend, dude. Lane, you are a legend. All right, uh, coming in at number one for me is Chris. Do you know what the fuck you are? You're in the jungle, baby. <laughs> Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. And I will battle this as the number one debut album against any album any day of the week. So if I would have picked this album, I would have been a poser too. Because in high school, growing up in Logan, Utah, you had people that listened to metal. You had people that listened to, you know, new age, new wave music. Uh, I was in the latter camp. I was really depressed listening to Depeche Mode and the Smiths. <laughs> so I had a healthy disdain for anyone who listened to Guns N' Roses with their mullets and their Levi jackets with like freaking <laughs> band patches on, which Johnny is currently wearing. At- I, I'm wearing my fucking metal vest. Metal vest. It's not even a jacket. He he doesn't have the sleeves. This jacket is too metal for sleeves, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but... Later on, probably 10, God, dude, 10 years after the album came out, I was like, hey, this band's not that bad. <laughs> There's another song that I like. Yeah, so I totally would have been a poser. But moving into my number one album, Kill 'Em All by Metallica that came out in 1983. Love it. That was actually my number five, but we, we changed things out so we don't have anything the same. So did you know what this album was going to be called originally. You're supposed to say no. I do and not I'm, know. Okay, good. Thank you. Metal up your ass. Metal up your ass. But Cliff Burton came up with Kill em All, and it was in reference to music distributors that he was like, we should just kill them all. So, and it stuck. But that is one, probably one of a handful of albums that I like every song. Every song's a and you know what, dude? It's thrash metal, and and it's got a lot of punk in it. And you know, for people that just know the Metallica Black album, you should you should check out their earlier work. Their their three albums before that were insane. By far, my favorite Metallica album. I like that, I like Masters a lot too. I, I was sixteen. When I got turned on the Masters. We're not talking about Masters. We're talking about fucking Kill Em All. All right. Well, that concludes our top five list. 
Okay, Chris, I wanted to get into the fact that you and I both saw this summer the legendary band Metallica and never talked about it. Hold it, Metallica. Can you spell that and use it in a sentence? I will beat you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, right after I said that, I was like, I don't think I can spell Metallica. Oh, I can spell Metallica. Oh, you can? Fuck you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... I wrote it on enough of my books in high school. Oh, God, were you one of those kids? No, well, I, you take the eraser so the color comes off. So it was like that white, like, airbrush look. Oh, God, dude, you know what? I'm just telling you right now, in high school, we wouldn't have been friends because I would have been like, oh, dude, he's a monger. That's what we called them in Utah. Hessians, mongers. Mongers. Yeah. Did you have the mullet? I, You know what? In Utah, I had a little bit of a mullet. Of course you did. That was like... Dude, that's the mullet capital of the world. Did you have a jean jacket? Did you have patches? I of- had a jean jacket with fur on the inside for winter. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. And I cut, I cut the sheepskin. I cut the side so I could put my Walkman in. Oh. The- <laughs> dude, that is fucking amazing. It's fucking... Dude, I was metal, dude. Don't even trip. So, I've loved Metallica forever forever i've never seen them live until this summer and my wife i'm such a bitch so my birthday was in july leading up to that i told my wife all i want for my birthday are tickets to metallica she's like okay which is usually like a done deal no it's a done deal when they throw something out there like that to us we instantly go on our computer and, and handle it that day so we don't forget so i felt this was a done deal so we're leading up and we booked a trip to New Mexico and I realized it was over the time you came out to me and were like, Hey dude, are you going to go up to Metallica? The- because of the Rose Bowl show we yeah. went to. And I'm like, no, I'm going to be in freaking New Mexico. I'm like, son of a bit. I whined the entire weekend. And so my birthday. No, you pouted. Well, that, <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. My birthday was over the weekend. My mom got me uh tickets to the san diego show and my son she farmed it out to the parents yes my son ratted me out he was like oh you know what he went into a health food store and he was complaining that you know that mama didn't buy him tickets so anyway best concert i've ever been to it was amazing it, they, every song I wanted to hear, I had a wish list of like, I hope they play like Seek and Destroy. I hope they play one. Everything. They played all of it. it no. Was, and they're insane. And I got to tell you, we, my wife and I saw them at the forum on the um, Death Magnetic tour. And they weren't as good as this time around. And I feel because Death Magnetic only had like two good songs on the album. And this album that they came out with is really good. Hardwired? It, hardwired to self-destruct. Yeah. They, and uh, they have a bunch of good songs, like Moth into a Flame, Hardwired to Self-Destruct, <laughs> um, Halo of Fire. <laughs> dude, you should break out the jean jacket. Oh, dude, I'll wear my Hessian jacket. Dude, I'll post my Hessian jacket, Do dude. you still have it? Fuck yeah. Well, you see, have you seen the vest? No. Yeah, it lost its sleeves, and now it's just a vest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, dude. You know what? Yeah, I, I wish I could say I was metal in high school. I was a little bit too much um, Depeche Mode in the Smiths. Oh, you're, you were new row. I was, I was like the depressed, the depressed kid. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yes, it was an amazing concert. Oh, dude. Okay, yeah. And for us, it was a little bit different because Desi had the hookups for our family. And when we got there, um, Desi's uncle, Uncle Mike, is head of Metallica's merch department. So we walked in while everybody else was standing in line. He walked us through the gate. We went into the VIP, Metallica fan VIP section. And that, they have a museum. Like, think of, like, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Or even if you've gone to the Hard Rock in Vegas. But it was just Metallica. So it was, like... Their clothes from videos. They had these all these giant toolkits. And when you pull out a drawer, it'd be like, oh, there's the handwritten lyrics to Master of Puppets. Oh, here's when they um, signed to Metal Blade Records. This is their record contract. Like, just really cool stuff. And, like, and I was totally nerding out. Like, I would have stayed there all day. But my <laughs> the kids were bored. But also they had the, uh, their instruments there in the room. So you could take a picture, like, wearing... Uh, James Hetfield's guitar. So essentially, when I'm standing in line and I see people go around the outside and led through like the velvet ropes, they must have an Uncle Mike. So, well, I call them the assholes. Oh, I was so asshole that day because it because <laughs> it gets better. <laughs> our seats, we didn't even go to our seats because he goes, "Oh yeah, I got one more thing for you guys." He gave us passes, and it was uh, passes onto the floor. So, <laughs> so we literally were just we were like. We're like 10th row because I was bringing Donovan back when the pit started coming. I just throw him on my shoulders and walk back a little bit. And, uh, and everyone's like, oh, isn't that dangerous? Everybody loved Donovan. They were going by. They were high-fiving. They were asking if they could take pictures with him because he was all metaled out. Um, yeah, parent of the year, taking my, <laughs> taking my eight-year-old to Metallica. Fuck you, Johnny. Okay, that's, I think we'll end it with that. <laughs> Love one up in Chris. I'm ready for Betty Ford after tonight. And Josh, if, if Eric and I aren't admitted to Betty Ford, we're going to go to New Beginnings. That doesn't work. We're going to go to Charter Hospital. Because at Charter Hospital, if you don't get help with us, get help somewhere, please. It's like partying with James Bond, this guy. You have no clue that you're riding around in his car and there's a half pound of blow in Dude, did you just smuggle coke into Mexico? He just reveled in the chaos. I think we all loved him so much because he didn't give a fuck. They just knew if Todd was around, everything was gonna be all right. And I'm watching it going, Todd's around, this is gonna end up in a disaster. I didn't know that Sublime was going to appeal to so many people. We had a party entourage that showed up with us. Z-Man was pretty much a leader of that as far as... <laughs> Ringleader, mascot, master of ceremonies. A very strong influence on what the band was about, putting a lot of gasoline on a fire. It was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Then it was drugs and rock and roll. And then it was just drugs. They're playing our music on the radio. We signed this deal. We've made it. You know, we've arrived. Here we are. Boom, ta-da! It was over. When Brad died, I thought that would have been a wake-up call. It was the exact opposite. Stuff ourselves with whatever fucking substances we can to numb the pain and act like we're still having fun. It's amazing any of them are still alive, really. I discovered OxyContin, and that absolutely, absolutely tore me apart. 
There is a growing epidemic of addiction, and each day, more than 40 people die from overdoses of these drugs. This has been one of the great mistakes of modern medicine. And I was taking a lot of them. Strength-wise, over 100 Vicodin a day. This ain't even fun anymore, dude. My brain was in bad shape. I'm probably gonna die if I don't do something. I think that really is the worst case that I've seen. I didn't sleep for my first 44 days. I can tell you that at day 50, I was gonna blow my brains out. You constantly tell somebody tomorrow's gonna be better, hoping it's better. Because oftentimes tomorrow isn't better. Tomorrow hurts just as much or even maybe more. I got lucky. I got my son back. Believe it or not, today it's, it's the biggest asset that I have because it's enabled me to help a lot of people. There's a steel train coming home. There was a subconscious desire to kind of understand what my dad's experiences were. Why would he smoke this? Why would he snort that? Why would he drink this? Why would he pop that? It looked like it was going in the direction that his dad went in. I was prepared to do anything that I possibly could to help Jacob get well. We couldn't lose Jacob. Uh, you know, we just couldn't. Okay, welcome to Best Frenemies. And um, on our party episode, we had a lot of people complaining that we just didn't do it enough. We, we were too high bottom drunks. So we had to go and bring a professional former partier in today. Chris? We, uh, we have with us today, we have Todd Zeman Zalkins, uh, whose new documentary, I'm going to just read a little blurb from Rolling Stone. Uh, the documentary, The Long Way Back, is a gripping trailer premiering at Rolling Stone highlights how Noel's drug abuse and tragic death affected his family, bandmates, and sublime's hard-partying entourage, including childhood friend Todd Zeman Zalkin. The film premieres October 17th uh, via video-on-demand platforms, including iTunes and Amazon. And Todd, thank you for coming in. Thank you guys for having me. It's it's good to it's good to be here with you guys and Johnny. Great to great to see you and and thank you for welcoming you, uh, me into your beautiful home, man. Thank me. Hey. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Thank thank your wife too, Chris. So I, right out of the gate, uh, do you want to be called uh, Todd or Z-Man? Call me whatever you want. Uh, call me Z-Man. That's cool. All right. All right. Done deal. Okay. Uh, I have a question real quick. That's. Uh, been about 20 years now that I that I've wanted to ask Todd on Bad Fish the beginning of Bad Fish um, are you the Todd that Bradley is talking about on uh, tell Todd he can turn the radio back on yeah that, that's actually uh, Dr. Todd Foreman um, the, I get asked that all the time and, and that was at a you know beer all those beer bottles clanking and stuff like that that would be uh, the horn player you know Todd Foreman, who's now, of course, a physician in Newport Beach. So there you go. There you go. Dr. Todd. Question answered. All right. <laughs> so, Z-Man, I, uh, I'm a former pillbilly. Uh, I used to cruise convalescent homes in Long Beach to get buy scripts off people in wheelchairs. I watched your documentary, and uh, I think I have another run in me. I mean, I think I'm a, <laughs> I think I'm a high-bottom drunk, like... Watching your documentary, um, you, you saw the film. You mean? Yeah, yeah. 
I don't understand how you kept it together for so long. Well, uh, I I think I kept it together for a little while. Um, you know, I was addicted for almost 17 years, and then I think for a number of years I I, I didn't really keep it together. I think I think both of you guys know that that the disease of alcoholism and drug addiction is progressive. You know, in nature, we hear about that in our in our in the rooms of recovery and stuff like that. I managed well for a while, and then I didn't manage at all. You know, I was relegated to my home alone and in, in, in a, a lot of different uh, shattered pieces just in my pajamas with piles of oxys and heroin I was smoking and alcohol and cocaine. And I thought I was pulling it off. And I wasn't pulling it off. You know, friends are scared of me and I'm sweating and, and people were just scared to death of me. I was a pretty frightening character to be around. I, uh, so... And I was actually telling, uh, before we started recording, um, that I think there's a moment for every pill addict that you realize it would be cheaper just doing heroin. (laughs) Um, and I had reached that point. I mean, spending so much money on pills. I never put a needle in my arm and I never did heroin, but it was, pills were so accepted. Like you'd go into public and swallow a handful of pills and people wouldn't bat an eye. Um, and so when I hear about the epidemic right now, that, that my mind goes there, that it, and you might, you could disagree with me. Uh, but I think some of that is there was here, go ahead, go ahead. No, um, I, I rode the, I rode this, uh, this idea that I was in chronic pain for a number of years and, and I had, you know, I had multiple surgeries, which, you know, some which were legitimate injuries. So I would ride this, this notion that I was in chronic pain and, and I did have pain for a long time, but let's face it, pain does subside. And I've learned, I've learned through being educated that pain does subside. And as an addict, I, I'm of this thinking that the pain never goes away and therefore I have to treat it with narcotics for the rest of my life. And once the drug claims ownership over me, I'm going to have to maintain or treat this pain with narcotics. So I've got a pain management doctor, which prescribes me 240, 80 milligram Oxycontin down at Scripps, but that's not enough. I need to have a cash and carry doctor, which prescribes me another 160. So there's 400 Oxycontins a month. And that's not enough. I have to have a drug dealer in Costa Mesa that, that, that I buy, you know, a couple of hundred Norcos a month. That's not enough. I still have to get heroin on top of that. You know, it, 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 it was absolutely insane. It became a full-time job eventually. So what was it? If you like that moment, I mean, yeah. cause they taught you taught in the documentary. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, I mean, obviously you went to rehab. I can tell you the it, moment. I can tell you the moment. The, the moment was when I was down at Scripps. You know, this is this is in 2006 when my physician down at Scripps had found he, he was the DEA notified him that that the cash and carry. Do- I was seeing that cash and carry doctor. He gave me one warning. Then he found, and then then he found out that uh, I had violated that warning. He said, Todd, you have a you have a drug problem. I can give you some resources, but I can no longer treat you. And I actually, in looking back, that man, uh, he saved my life. I hated him at the time because he stripped me of that resource of 240 Oxycontin. Bam. 
There's my primary source of OxyContin. That's a lot of oxys removed. Okay. So now I'm down to this 160 and even that guy cut me off. So I have to re I have to rediscover a source for all these pills. And I'm not a needle guy either. But now I'm buying gigantic balls of wax, black tar. I just call it these big things, big grips of freaking wax, you know, $1,500 at a time. These things are the size of three softballs in Santa Ana. And I'm smoking it and snorting it, and I'm finding these mills where I could uh, procure morphine pills. Damn. <laughs> so I've got these balls of heroin that are the size of your head, approximately pretty big and i'm just smoking that and doing cocaine and everything is no longer working damn well i want to back it up a little bit and um <laughs> back it up back it up johnny and uh i re- remember the first time i saw z-man this is i worked for black flies i was a little grom and i worked for black flies and black flies was pretty uh you know, we're a sex, drugs, and rock and roll company, and um, one of our favorite bands that we sponsored was Sublime. And every time they showed up, Z-Man was always there with them. We were all partying at the office. It was like the Tasmanian devil had come to Black Flies every time they showed up. It was, you don't have to do any more work. You have Coors Light over there. There's Coke in the bathroom. <laughs> and uh, you know what? Speaking of the bathroom, I remember th- that... Todd's uh, one of your bracelets from from rehab was on the wall. Yeah, yeah, I can tell that story. It tell was, me, it was uh, it was you know, I had a couple of, of failed. Um, I had always wanted to be off the pills. You know, I I truly I'd hated myself for a long time because of the pills, and I I thought if I just get off of these pills, I could I could still drink and 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 still maybe party occasionally with with a coke and and I just if I could just kick these fucking pills. I'm going to be okay. So I would try these detoxes down in, at uh, South Coast Hospital in Laguna Beach, and I roll in to detox. This was my second stint and kicking those. You know, OxyContin was a mother. The last stint, My last detox was a mother. We can talk about that later if you want, but that detoxing off that Norco was a bitch. The short term was just a motherfucker. And I'm telling you, man, five or six days at uh, South Coast Hospital, and I shit you not, I want to take a buck knife and carve off my fucking skin. And I just bailed against medical advice. I got my wristband on. I get into my sled that's parked outside the hospital. They're begging me to stay. And I said, screw this. And I drive straight to Black Flies, pick up two, ca- <laughs> two cases of Coors, a gallon of vodka. I roll in and I start screaming, somebody here is going to pack my fucking beak within, within 20 <laughs> minutes. Or I swear to God, I'll burn the place down. And I take off my bracelet. We staple it. We staple it into the uh, into the bathroom. And someone there called a dealer, and they packed my beak. I bought a half ounce of blow, and I couldn't get any pills. The next day, I go to urgent care, and I, I score a you know a, a prescription for I think it was uh, Percocet or Percodan, Percodan, whatever the hell. And I started the cycle again. Yeah. No, and you guys got to understand, like Z-Man, you know, I'm a little guy, and Z-Man's very, very big in stature. He's stocky, uh, big athletic guy, but he was always very loving and fun. He was he was literally the life of the party, like loud, boisterous. He was a combination of uh, of John Belushi and Chris Farley, like in a room fo- filled with a lot of people that demanded attention, and... Uh, <laughs> 
it was they were crazy times you know and when i hear you in your in your movie talk about like every pillhead i know sees cocaine that was my drug and they're just they just laugh at that they're just like that is nothing i can know and that took a, a big hold on me like i was a, a cocaine and merlot guy in the end that was my perfect yin and yang but like when it, when i hear pill people and everything that they go through well see blow for me was when i at noon when i started getting nodding out cocaine was good to get me up get me over that hump and keep me going yeah but, but i wasn't a big blow guy i i'm you know you just used it as a tool yes <laughs> it was a tool for chris long um but man the pills and budweiser that kept me going yeah you know i think one of the one of the only reasons that that i'm even breathing the the free air is that for a long time i actually rarely drank alcohol uh a few uh, a cup of coffee and and snorting some 80 milligram oxys crushed up that would uh that would start my day and then it was basically just the uh the opiate uh pills throughout my day and then a giant bowl of yogurt and fucking granola and watching bad forensic file shows and dog the bounty hunter <laughs> and, <laughs> and and i'm just and, and i would i would roll down to to vons in pajamas with check you know with hockey players or footballs all over them and i think that everything's okay i can re- i can recall the people at the supermarket going Dude, you're rolling up in a convertible Porsche with pajamas and a sweatshirt with yogurt all over it, and and like like it like it's okay. Life goals, killing it, and I've got <laughs> killing it with tubs of yogurt and and that's my only food group. That's my food group, and I just couldn't wait to get back home and and that's my life. So the other thing about this documentary that I I really like personally was um, I mean the music Sublime plays a huge part in this this film. Um, so I moved out from Utah to Long Beach to go to school in 95. My first experience, I've shared this story with Johnny. My first experience with Sublime, I was working at the Blue Cafe, Yuppie's Blues Bar, downtown Long Beach. It was a Monday, went in there, everyone was subdued. Um, people were bummed. And I, I was like, hey, what's going on? Like, Bradley Knoll died. I'm like, Who? Bradley Knoll, lead singer of Sublime. Who? Like, had no, had no idea who he was. So I first became aware of Sublime when he died. And then... So you had to go backwards. Yes. So then I was just, introduced just, to the music. Just like um, anyone from Utah, Chris. Like, crushed velvet shirts and dice buttons are just breaking right we're now We're a little behind the times. <laughs> um, and how... In, so, so being an outsider in Long Beach, I felt myself as an outsider how instrumental Bradley was in Long Beach and this this whole music scene that just kind of like gravitated around them. And it felt like, from my perspective, when Bradley died, that the music scene in Long Beach just kind of like fizzled. It, it seemed like there were a lot of bands that it almost felt like, and I was talking to Johnny about this, that it felt like it was the next, you know, Seattle music scene the grunge scene i mean it seemed like there were so many it was a hot spot Long great bands coming spot. up and a tragic tragic death and at that point i wouldn't say that i was in my disease uh and he was my first like it was i couldn't understand at that time that he had life you know by the short hairs and 
that this disease took him. And I didn't know that then, but then, you know, 10 years later I did, I understood that how that could happen. Um, anyway, well, the, you know, from a musical culture standpoint, I, I don't think that the, the music world didn't really understand the magnitude of it for immediately, but several years later it was recognized, um, profoundly as a, from a, from a personal standpoint, from a friend and familial standpoint, the the devastation was very, very profound and very substantial, and uh, the heaviness of it was was fucking ridiculous. Like I can I can almost close my eyes and I can I can go right back to that moment and and you know if you saw the film and the the interview that that Bud God gave us, if you would have been up there in Reno, Nevada. And his workshop when he gave the interview, you could have heard a you could have heard a pin drop. And what he, it was so emotional and so moving and so from the heart. And you know, making making this film was was difficult. It took a lot out of me. It took a lot out of all of us. But uh, you know, it, it, as Blaine Kaplan, the former manager, said, you know, it's it, it, it still hurts us to this day. Some things have healed, but uh, it that affected and the effect still goes on because we love the guy. But musically speaking, I think that he had set the stage for so many people. What's that cliche often, often, uh, replicated, imitated, but, but never duplicated. But you know what? That the legacy will always live on and the music's so important. It's so important. And it'll be lasting. I think forever, forever. I agree. And you grew up with, um, as far as the sublime connection, was it Eric was a couple doors down from you? Yeah. On, I was for a number of years in the heart of Belmont shore. I was on Laverne and then Eric was on the, the next street over Covina and we we're really young kids. And it was such a cool little group of kids that, that grew up in that area. And, you know, and Bud God moved in, moved in the area in middle school. And I was one of the first kids that he met and, you know, Brad, had uh he, he lived in naples for you know he moved there when he was like i don't know 10 or 11 and brad's very best friend a lot of people don't know this brad's brad's very best friend growing up was this kid named scott cunningham and i've known scotty since i was six years old we all knew each other we all knew each other and so when you're coming up in a community that small you all know each other now from an intimate standpoint though no one knew brad better on an intimate level growing up better than Scott Cunningham. But as you get to, as you grow in the musical circles and stuff like that, you all know one another. Yeah. Does that make, you know what I mean? You all know one another. And as you move along and as you start to hang out and you're in these backyard parties and stuff, Oh, Hey, there's that dude. Oh, fuck. There's Opie. Oh, he's going to punch someone in the <laughs> fucking throat. Yeah. That's, that's normal. You know, Hey, there's Jack Manis. There's bud. You all know each other. You know, as you develop, it's just, you're all a family. Yeah, it's tight knit. You're all circle. a family, you know. And so, um, don't fuck with Long Beach, man. <laughs> <laughs> How's that? Now, speaking of family, when they couldn't get someone, or when when the video started going for uh, date rape, and they and you got the call to be, <laughs> to be the date rapist. To be that guy? Yeah. To be huh. the guy. The, the, um, 
Did you say yes right away? Because it's a pretty heavy person to play. Like, you're playing... Well, I was a pretty heavy, fat guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course I said yes. I, 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 th- I think that they were, they were out of state on tour at the time. I think that they were actually going through Texas, and the song was blowing up. And they had, they had to make this video on a shoestring budget, and I believe it was Miguel and Brad on, the, on this crappy cell phone calling me, and I think John Phillips might have called me first, and, you know. Hey, do you want to be the date rapist? I think Ron Jeremy's going to rape you in jail. And I said, oh, shit, Ron? Yeah, you know, we all love... We <laughs> well, all, if it's Ron. We, well, hell, if it's Ron, you know, we all we all have a f- fine appreciation for, for adult film. and Who doesn't love the hedgehog? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, anything, anything for the guys. But I was a little bit thinking, wait a minute, date rape video. Wait, this is going to be a... Oh, hell yeah. Dude. You know, yeah. And you did a great job, by the way. Well, I, what, huh? In your movie, yeah. in your movie, which you didn't talk about, mm-hmm. didn't something happen with you and Lou Dog? Yeah, let's, there's actually footage of this, and, and we, we didn't include it uh, in, in the... It, it would have... To include this scene, it was going to take too much story to talk about, but the, the first day of filming the date rape uh, video... The the black and white footage of the band playing in the bar, which is this uh, bar in downtown Long Beach called Ferns. Oh, dude. Yeah, wonderful bad, Ferns. Oh, bad memories. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think half the guys who drink there are on parole. Nothing but, lo- <laughs> nothing but love for the Ferns crew. But uh, the, night, the night before that was filmed, uh, Sublime had played a sold-out show at the Troubadour, and it was crazy, absolutely nuts. And Brad and I... We're just gassed. And so Brad and I left the Troubadour and Troy drove us back to Brad's. And, and I had just a shit ton of, of beaks on me, uh, a.k.a. cocaine, high quality as a general rule. And we were down in his, in his little studio just packing our beaks and playing the organ. In fact, I still have a little micro cassette. Don't ask me for it, anybody. You're not going to get it because it's Brad and I playing some music together and singing and stuff like that. It may appear in the documentary that they're going to be making. But um, we're up all night, just just retarded, just <laughs> ridiculous. So there's footage of us in the doc, in, in my film, of us hungover, and they're waking us up. Okay, so we go to Ferns to start filming this video, and I got this Afro wig on that I would often wear when Corn Doggy Dog played. So we approach this 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 little catering line for food, and we, and Brad's like, we're not waiting in line for the you know to get food. We're in this video, so I we uh, we go into this little roped area to to cut in front of everybody, and out of nowhere, Louie flies out and bites my face. And it's funny today, but that dog ripped off my bottom lip, and I could have been like permanently fucking disfigured. And my mouth luckily was open. He ripped out. I, I ended up going to Long Beach Memorial emergency style 26 stitches in my inside of my mouth from a plastic surgeon my mouth was blowing out blood just gnarly and i was people like and i was so hung over i didn't really realize what's going on eric wilson rolls up he's like fuck see man what the hell's going on i grabbed this empty sparkless bottle and started beating the dog and brad started fucking want to start a fight with me and people are like yeah that's gonna work out and then <laughs> and it's just mayhem right and this is this this gets even better. So I I I ended up going to the hospital. The guys go out of town on uh, tour, 
And I'm like, dude, you, you guys got to pay this medical bill, man. I'm not jacking up my insurance because of Louie. So, <laughs> so yeah, this is perfect, though. So they, so Michael's like, Miguel's like, yeah, no, no worries, man. We'll take care of it. And they, they get back in town. And it was like 2500 bucks, And they write me a check, Skunk Records. And, 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 and so I, I deposit the check. The check bounces. Awesome. <laughs> and, and on the memo, the check, it says, for the Louie party. <laughs> and, and, and I still have the check to this day. And, and uh, they, they, of course, they made good on it. But I remember, I remember calling him and going, I swear, I'm going to murder. This, these guys are like my, some of my best friends. I'm going to kill all of you. And then and what does Brad say? Come on, Z-Man. You wouldn't want to do that. Why would you want to kill us, Z-Man? Oh, dude, that is awesome. That is awesome. Now, um, the the you were you were a key part in uh in the stories, lies, and tales directed by uh, Josh. Is it Fishel? Fishel. Fishel. And that's uh. <laughs> could you explain the word key? Because mm-hmm. I just love hearing that. You know, I have been using that term since I was really young, probably sixteen or seventeen. It's like. You know, it's key. Hey, that's pretty key. Hey, check out that chick. She's pretty key. Hey, we're going to this party. It's going to be key. What do you think about Sublime? These guys are fucking key. And it's like key represents just anything that's absolutely, it's just killer. It's epic. It's beyond good. And it's just been a staple phrase of mine since I was a kid. And I've, it's kind of one of those things I should fucking have an ad for it or have a i should be getting royalties <laughs> you know some of i should be in like a, i should be in like a lowe's ad like be bumping around like an apron <laughs> hey come here and get this key made you know i should be like one of those like some bullshit hardware thing you know but anyway key, yeah that's just a term i've always had where or if it's a bum i was like that's not very key <laughs> it's like you're driving around that's like a 10 car pileup and 12 people are dead that's not very key you know uh, uh, that's that's a bum out. That's not key. I sent Chris a, a text last night saying, "There's they're still coming. It's gonna be key." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's absolutely. It's like if it's, hey, I'm gonna go to the Black Flies warehouse and I'm gonna pack my beak. This is back. You know, when I thought that was key. Yeah. I think it's gonna be key. <laughs> Hanging out with all you fools, with Mo and Jack and all of you total degenerates. It's gonna be key. And then the next morning, going, I do not feel key. <laughs> No, hey, is is Corn Doggy Dog still playing? Is that is that the band that you are still under? We still have. I have more fun playing live shows than I ever had before. I have such a good time playing sober. In fact, you know, I have more fun in my life as a sober man than I ever did loaded. You know, I you guys as sober guys can probably attest to this you know if it was better loaded i'd split man i love my life as a sober guy despite some of the challenges that we have um you know living life sober early on when i was young when everything starting out the gate parting let's face it we have a first couple of years that might be fun however if i do the checks and balances of it all you know i drank and used for 24 years I'm going to say 75% of my drinking and using career was absolutely terrible. I agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely terrible. And and so my 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 message to anyone listening is that it's it's not a big celebration of cool. Getting getting absolutely 
absolutely addicted and having that shit own your life. There's no cool factor to it. And, uh, and I'm here to attest that, that I'm grateful to be sober. I'm thankful for the life that I've been given. And, and the, and my life as a sober man, I have more fun today, whether it's surfing, playing gigs, hanging out with you guys and, um, doing this, what we're doing today and, and laughing genuinely, you know, smiling genuinely, talking story genuinely. It's, it's a joy. It's, it's like we've been given two lives, really, because I had the, my party days. And then, you know, everything for me, I got lucky and I didn't, I didn't feel the, I didn't relapse when I got sober. Um, met my wife at two years sober, had a kid a couple years later. And it's, you know, and I'm there to be right there and current in all their lives. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any bullshit taking away from them and the most important thing too i can get in my car and i can drive anytime i want which yeah. is which is very key <laughs> yeah it, it is key and, and and do you guys ever think about this because sometimes i forget about this that as a result of our recovery and as a result of us being sober we don't miss days i have not missed a day whether it's good or whether it might be a little bit you know tough but i haven't missed a day of living because i'm sober the two weeks so i got sober november 22nd 2002 the two weeks before that i have no memory yet i was driving around orange county costa mesa absolutely no memory of it i don't know what i did um and i (sighs) that's real that is real no. <laughs> and, you know, it was funny. So I read the book, Million Little Pieces by James Fry. <laughs> like when it first came out. Don't tell me uh, that's what we got in the You know, canal with no anesthesia. That was, yeah, right. <laughs> you know what? There were two parts of that book before it came out that he was just blown smoke. Uh-huh. One was the, yeah, the dental work. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, dude, it's not mind altering. Like, I don't understand, like, freaking Novocaine. Like, he I, was full of shit. Yeah, total full of shit. Mm-hmm. The other one, when he was describing in vivid detail before going to rehab, I was like, that's not my story. I don't even remember it. Yeah. Like, I don't remember. I couldn't have told you shit. Yeah. But, so, no, I agree with you. I do remember my days now. Oh, I can't, you know. Yeah, but but the but the fact is is that we don't miss a day as 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 grown up if you want to call us, you know, as men, we're not missing days because of who we are today versus from the years especially from the years of like freaking 1999 to 2006. There's like a good solid 7 years I probably missed 90% of days. I mean missed entirely life. Oh, yeah. I was absent, bro. Done fucking sweating, tripping, people scared, and I'm locked in a freaking house, uh, absent of life. Yeah. Yeah, that's fabulous. Fabulous. Yeah, it's not... Not key. (laughs) And actually, watching watching the documentary... In fact, okay, well, I went to the the Lido premiere of of your film. That's right, I saw you there. Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome to see you. And... And Chris, thank you. I was stuck to see you guys. And Chris, I called saying, I've got the most beautiful pillhead movie for you to see. And I, <laughs> and, and I really believe that it's going to be, um, a, you know, a, a required viewing for any rehab. I really feel like that because 
you know, what happens when you get sober? They put on Michael Keaton's Clean and Sober, and it's... <laughs> oh, dude. Did you watch, were or, you forced to watch that, too? Yes. And the, what's the Meg Ryan one? The scent of a fucking woman or whatever? That I mean, there's horrible movies out there. Nothing's been updated. No, when, Sandra Bullock's 28 Days. <laughs> oh, God. You know, that there, one. I bail, and it's all good. Yeah. You know what? It's all good. I fuck up a wedding, and I go to rehab, and you know what? 28 Days it's Later. It's cool. How, hey, it, dude, how about it, Meg Ryan's little speech when she got her six month champ into the movie? Too? Oh my goodness! Um, you, you know what? You know our intention always it, it 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 always has been and always will be is we want to reach a ton of people on two levels. First is is we want to be a message of of awareness. You know, awareness, hope, and education. If there's people out there who are struggling. And um, I think that you both could probably agree on the, you know, if you're suffering out there, that intangible thing called hope, because I know that uh, for myself, when, when I was new in, in recovery, I needed that, I needed that thing. I had to have that power of identification because I got to tell you, fellas, I was not hearing a story of, I, got, I had to hear about some dude who really went through it. Because these fuck these fuckers who came in after you know spilling martinis on their on their freaking in laws wasn't working. I I met a dude who had a gnarly 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 opiate addiction, and this gentleman in South Laguna Beach. I locked into him and I followed him, and he saved my life because I understood him. So that thing, that power of identification. So for people out there who are hopeless. And hopefully this message can provide them with some hope. And maybe for people who are thinking of testing the waters, I'm hoping that this film will be like, you know what? No way, man. Based on what I just saw, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. So maybe it's going to promote some awareness and education. So we have a lot of layers that we hope that we're going to hit with regards to the message. We, th- that's my hope. I, I, when I watched your documentary, it took me back. And I felt dirty. I mean, I it was like, yeah. I wanted I, to take my shirt you off. Have wash with you have to wash with Comet or something. <laughs> Dude, it was like, oh God. And the tastes and the smells. <laughs> and to this day, it also, I think the double whammy was the whole, like the Long Beach crew. To this day, I still get the heebie-jeebies going back to Long Beach. Because everywhere I look was like, oh God, Ferns, the Reno room. <laughs> Try I'm living like, there. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, everywhere. So my last drink was in the Reno room. <laughs> I was fucking by myself drinking. And someone I knew came in. They were just like their last stop before going home. And they was like, dude, what are you doing here? I'm like, I don't know. Like, And that was it. That was my last drink. But I still dry. I haven't gone to the Reno room since. And yeah, it, 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 it's, it's not the place where, where a lot of like uh, hedge fund winners are hanging. <laughs> Dude, I no good memories. Thri- from the thriving Reno. 401k people are just like, yeah, Reno room, 6 a.m. See you there. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. And we had the beach ball too. beach ball. A lot of <laughs> nobody making eye contact waiting for 6 a.m. for it to open up. Oh, my God. Down in Newport. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> you, do you ever do you ever have the you know you hear about these things called uh you know especially when we're new these they call them what, drunk dreams or whatever. Oh yes. Okay, in my first in my first year, I had these series of moments where I shit you not, I woke up about a dozen times where I had dreams that were so real that I called my sponsor going, 
Fuck, I'm brand new, man. I'm oh, dude, like that's the worst. At six thirty, I called him, going, "I cannot believe I did it." He's like, "What'd you do?" I'm like, fuck, I scored. I I did blow last night, and I, I was still like waking up. He's like, "What is wrong with you? You just had a meeting." Like, because I, I was still detoxing. I was so fucking retarded. I was just, I was. You're bad. in a haze. You haze. Dude, not the not well. Dope dreams are the worst, <laughs> dude. Those were the worst because it was like, oh god, I lost. All- oh, okay, yeah. it's a dream. Oh, thank five god. minutes later, you're like, thank god. Oh, dude. So recently, I so being a big pill head, I just had back surgery like uh, five months ago. I had my spine fused, and so and you could probably appreciate it. Every time when I started going to meetings, I would hear people share a story. Like people who never took pills that came in for tweak or booze. Oh, I had back surgery and I went out and I got addicted to pills. And so it was my worst nightmare. I'm like, I never want to have back surgery. I cannot have an elective surgery that I'm going to be required to take pills. But Chris couldn't even tie his shoes. <laughs> like is why he had. Well, I never surgery. took. So listen in your story. I never took pills for pain. Like, so I never had that in my mind. Like I'm in pain. It was, I was always getting off. Um, and that was a big deal for me. So having to take pills and talking to the surgeon, like, Hey, you really don't want to take pills. He's like, Oh, you're going to have to for their intended purpose. Yes. You're going to have to. Mm -hmm. And, but it's still, I took them. My sponsor came over. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be talking about sponsor. Anyway, whatever. You can mention Uh, the word. (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, we're not mentioning which program we're in. (laughs) It's, it's all good. They, he came over every day and then like, but like three days, came out, I was taking a mass prescribed two every four hours. He was like, um, how many pills are you taking? I'm like, two every four hours. Cut it in half. And my mind went to, no, dude, I'm in pain. And I was like, I'm not going to do it. All right. I'm cutting it in half. And I didn't have any increased pain. So I was like, sweet. I was accountable. But it still fucked with me. Sure. It fucked with me just taking those pills. Um and when I got off, I shared this story recently. Uh, my dad called me. He called me. I was super nervous about it. And uh, he's like, um, are you off the narcotic payments? I'm like, yeah, dad. I just finished them. I'm done. He's like, oh, so happy. And he's like, um, so like, are you, are you a newcomer again? I'm like, <laughs> no, dad. That was, a, that, was, that was a free lapse. And he was like, okay, I'm going to have to go tell some people you didn't go out there. A free lapse. I love that word. I never heard that. Yeah, free lapse. I, yeah, someone uh, t- shared that with me. I was like, dude, that's amazing. Dude, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Free yeah. lapse. But it was, for being a pill head, yeah. surgery, dude, I did not even like holding that pill bottle. Whoa. No, I, I, can actually, I can speak from, um, I had an experience as well. I had a radical bone surgery on my foot early in recovery. And I, I too had to go through what you're talking about. And I was scared, scared to pieces about the idea of even opening a bottle. And I must've told 15 men that I trusted. And at day two, and the, and if, if anyone back surgery is gnarly, I've had it foot surgery, I think is five times worse. Uh, the bone there's your bones are so sensitive yeah and anyway i i was so scared by day two the monkey started crawling out of the freaking zoo man they were all over my head and my head got so loud and what i did was on on the morning of day three i i was flushing down my suicide in the toilet that's the phrase i use flushing my suicide because i think if i would have kept taking them i was going to start tripling up 
Oh, dude. <laughs> Trip, tripling up. And, I, and so I did not. So I had a free lapse, but not a relapse. I took them as prescribed. Every time I took one, I, I text. I sent a text to my sponsor. Like, you know, yeah. I, actually, I did that with my wife. <laughs> I, I Every had time my wife. I did, I texted my wife like, all right, two Norcos, <laughs> yeah. 12 o'clock. And who, and, and who does, and get a load of that. Since when are, since when are drug addicts accountable being honest with yeah. what they take? Holy God. But no, that was a huge like, <laughs> but, and I'm not going to lie. I mean, and this is how it fucks with me. Cause it would be like, all right, four hours. I'm like, and looking at the time and yeah. four hours. <laughs> like just, I mean, that is, but that is something so much bigger in our lives working for us. I mean, coming from a guy who had two safes, nine millimeters in the safe, <laughs> bottles of oxys. I mean, fake, uh, empty script pads in there. Uh, I wanted to, I wanted to protect my sobriety more than anything in the world. More than anything. I think I think anger kept me sober in like the first four years. Like uh, anger, yeah, because people were like, "There's you're going to rehab. There's no fucking way you're going to stay sober." And I was like, mm, "I'll show you." And, and, That's great. And yeah, like the only thing I did right was not drink or use drugs. And I actually had surgery too on my neck. I had my spine is fused too. And uh, and. When I got my pills, I just had my wife hold them because I'm like, I don't even want to fucking hear it from anyone about the pills. So, so I just had her hold them, and it, she doled them out to me and uh, when I needed them just because I wanted to avoid that situation altogether. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I think it's often good for, uh, to challenge some of us who uh, some, it's good to challenge some of us. Be like, you know what? Dude, you're never going to make it. It's like, oh, yeah? Fuck you, man. You know what? I am. Oh, I had the, you know, as opposed to going, dude, it's so good. I'm so glad you're in recovery. Yeah. You know what? Everything's going to be perfect. Your life's golden. <laughs> you know what? Life's going to unfold. It's all going to be absolutely perfect. Everyone's rallying behind you. You know what? You have no worries the rest of your life. <laughs> dude, what I, are you kidding? Oh, dude, the wife wouldn't talk to me. The parents didn't talk to me. The Oh, hey, speaking of parents. Yeah. Of course, this is like. A totally stupid thing I picked up from your documentary. Your mother? Your mother's name's Cheryl? It is. She spells it with an E? Mm-hmm. My mother, Cheryl, mm-hmm. spells it with an E. My whole fucking life, I have lived with a woman who has been like, you put an E at it, you know, at but, the end. And I picked up on your mom. That's and, the only two people I've ever heard. I know. It's that's, probably why you guys are both pill amazing. heads. Dude, I told my mom yesterday. <laughs> amazing. I called in and I was telling her, I was like, hey, yeah. So his mom... <laughs> Cheryl with the knee. She's like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" I've never heard that. <laughs> I want to meet this woman. And what's cool is if your mom's if your mom drops an f bomb, my mom drops epic f bombs. Oh no, my mom. And she's not. It's not real organic with her. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna lie. She's kind of like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Like that is awesome. Yeah. So yeah, same name. It's I've very never, rare. I've never seen that before. Yeah, that's that's killer. So I have one last question about Wait. your okay oh, your documentary. Uh, cause I remember, so there were things that you did and that I was aware of when I was, uh, uh, using and you had a blood transfusion mm-hmm. to like detox. So I like, did. like Rapid. the whole Keith Richards, mm-hmm. like, so when I was using, I remember reading an article that they were doing this in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Like you could go down get a detox and you're good. And I remember checking into it. Cause I was like, Oh no, dude, that's the shit. Like, dude, fucking get a blood transfusion and i won't be addicted anymore and done i'm done but then the idea of like knowing now like well i wouldn't have fixed my head 
like I could have not physically been addicted, but did that, I mean, obviously it kind of sounded like it didn't work for you, but I mean, were you like not addicted? Here's, here's where, here's where those things are good. Um, the, those situations will, will work great for people who are not addicts. So let's just say someone who, who has had, uh, who, who has been on these pills or something for a number of months and it's time for them to, to get off the pills and they go through these rapid detoxes or a blood transfusion. It's going to allow them to minimize the physical withdrawal and symptoms and, and, and to just, to just get on with their lives quicker. For an individual like me, who uh, is a, ra- a ravenous drug addict, I was looking for anything because because you know we're all impatient by nature to the maximum degree. I thought, oh, I'll pay ten thousand dollars and I'm fixed. So I go through this, and what was epic about it? Uh, you're so delusional through this process. I swear to God, when I was coming out of this thing, this hot nurse rolls right over me, playing with my IVs. I start grabbing her tits. I thought I told her I was going to marry her. She's <laughs> Swedish, and I, I literally start taking off her clothes. Security came in. I mean, it was gnarly. You're delusional. I thought I was in a porno, and I'm like, I'm going to marry her. And IV bags are flying around. It was ugly, and yeah, no. Three days later, I was packing my beak. You know, my but my buddy Mud's like, dude, what are you fucking doing? Didn't you just have like a blood transfusion? I'm like, yeah, that was just for pills. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, dude, I I I'm not a physician, but I'm pretty sure that that's not what you're supposed to be yeah. doing. And I was out surfing the San Clemente Pier, passed out in the past trying to surf, passed out in the rest. Uh, There's the only time nine one one ever had to come out and get me in the ocean because I uh, was going to drown from the weakness. I passed out and I was had to be taken to the uh, er so a normal yeah. person could listen to this and think it's crazy i'm like it makes perfect sense to me i mean i'm like ten thousand bucks done deal like <laughs> yeah three three days later in fact i was at the beach fire restaurant ordering shots of jaeger jack daniels went straight to the dealer's house got an ounce of cocaine was partying at my office like it was no problem and by the way that was after the er visit after the lifeguards rescued me thought thinking i was drowning I had 10 people in my office racking up 12-inch rat tails of cocaine. What's the problem? <laughs> now, you, well, you hear it all the time when people get new livers. They think like, oh, well, this is a fresh start. I can... We'll, we'll just start drinking Jack again. Yeah. Switch to beer. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's really weird, isn't it? No. Well, it's you a- know what? Something I, wanted, <laughs> something I wanted to talk about, my favorite part in the movie... I have a lot, but my favorite part is how it comes full circle with Bradley passing away and then... Halfway through the for, through the movie, you, we see you working with Jacob Knoll. Mm-hmm. Yeah the the day the day that I got uh, contacted by by Papa Knoll was one of the greatest moments of my entire life. You know, uh, when he told me that Jay, I, I knew that Jacob was having some problems, but when, when I, I when he he called to tell me that that Jacob was involved in a hospitalization situation reached out to me and said, you know, what do we do? You know, I, I dropped what I was doing and I raced to see uh, he and uh, his wife, Janie, and we, we got to work immediately, and right that day. And I just, I was, I was in tears driving over there. I was, we were all in tears and it was one of the other. We were either gonna do a, a very long-term rehabilitation plan that, you know, it was the, the, uh, the plan was going to be one of two things, and I basically, I stopped what I was doing, and I'm a full, I have an intervention company, 
I traveled the country and I, I'm a, I was very, very busy with my work and I just dropped everything that I was doing. And it went all, just all the way in with working with them. And it was, it was and still is one of the greatest moments of my life because, you know, as you saw in the film, I was, you know, the last person Brad called at 4am. He wanted to talk to me and I couldn't wake up and it, fucking killed me it, it broke my heart knowing that i couldn't take his phone call and it was devastating and um it, it's it's meant a lot to me to be able to help that young man it's been beautiful and, and wonderful and it's filled my life with a tremendous amount of joy you know it, it's 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 freaking awesome it really warms my heart i uh <clears throat> i imagine doing interventions, I mean, you're saying doing that now, uh, going around the country, that that would be one of the toughest jobs ever. Be It's, it's, it's very difficult. And, you know, a lot of people have this, uh, first off, it's not like A&E. And I don't want to hear the people shit. Oh yeah. You know, it's like chasing people in icy parking lots <laughs> in fucking Cleveland, you know, <laughs> you know, with a big camera, you know, it's, it's, First off, intervention is very difficult work. It it involves it involves a great deal of planning. It involves a great deal. It involves a special skill set. And for people who do them right, they're also very very successful. Um, in fact, uh, my track my track record is um, I'm more than ninety percent successful in getting people to agree to go to treatment. Now, um, but that seems really I mean mm -hmm. a testament to your ability because I would. That seems really high. Like, yeah. Because people came to me and it was like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> yeah, there's a, you know, it, it, there's a combination of, uh, there's a lot of moving parts that go on. In fact, that's my favorite part of the work is really, you know, I understand the addict and the person who's suffering because I, I get them. I get that part of it. But probably my getting them in is certainly wonderful. But my really probably my favorite part is seeing the family get relief. When, when, when the person agrees to go to treatment, to see the family go, oh, my gosh, to see them just be washed over with, wow, they're, they're actually going, to see, them, to see them well up with tears of joy and to see them that they're going to get a good night's sleep for once yeah. is overwhelming. But, um, you know, it's, it's a very painstaking, uh, uh, it can be painstaking work, and, and I have to be very, very careful with with my own self because self care is, is very, you know, I get emotionally drawn into these people because you give a shit. And I think any decent interventionist, you know, worth it's worth his or her salt gives a shit about these people. And, um, you know, I want to say this last thing people think, Oh, you, you know, you work in treatment. This isn't working in fucking treatment. When you're an interventionist, I don't work for a treatment center. This is, this is real in the trenches work. It is, it's, it's, uh, it's very involved and it's extreme. There's a million moving parts going on at once. So it's, um, yeah, it, it's really heavy and, but it's also very rewarding too. Yeah. That's awesome. Hey, um, at the end of the movie in, in, well, first of all, you guys can have a soundtrack because the, yeah. the music kicks ass and hearing, even hearing Jacob the first time when he's, you guys singing at the end, the two of you <laughs> yeah. was amazing. Yeah, we, we actually have a we have a, a, a soundtrack that we're really proud of. In fact, uh, we 
the 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 title track the 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 theme song the long way back we're so proud of the the music video that we're going to be unveiling we just filmed it and we're so excited about this. I've seen some pictures. Did you see it? I've seen but you haven't pictures. seen the video yet. No, I saw the pictures. I we'll, saw. We'll play it for you when we leave, and and we're we're extremely excited about this song. We we think that, uh, that it's going to be getting some radio play, but the soundtrack, uh, Jacob is just it, it's going to feature four of his songs. He's got two of his originals, and he'll be he'll be covering two of his dad songs, and which is jaw dropping. When the first time you hear yeah. Jacob play, you're like, he. You can feel his dad. Yeah, it's 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 real mind bending. That you know he sings, uh, you know, just angelically, and I think it'll give anybody uh, make the hair on their neck stand up. And so it's going to be nice to showcase his voice in the soundtrack. And of course, like I said, we've got this this theme song, "The Long Way Back," which is a lot of. It's it's a lot of fun. We're going to have no effects in there. We're going to have the vandals in there. And we're gonna have who else we have in there? Jesus. Fall, oh yeah, we have the Falling Idols and and uh, the, uh, Bert Susanka. We got him in there from the Ziggins and yeah, full on soundtrack, man. That's awesome. so. Is that gonna come out at like the same time? Uh, or like uh, it'll be it'll be coming out in in mid October. And I should also share this with you. Uh, uh, available on iTunes right now is the Long Way Back single on iTunes, and it and it's going off right now. People are digging it. Yeah, we're going to play it on the podcast, too. It's by Z-Man and the Keys. <laughs> I get, yeah, there you go. And that's a featuring uh, some, 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 crazy, some crazy fuckers. So I hope you guys dig it. Do, hey, one last thing I want to talk about yeah. is um, you mentioned Bradley's house. Yeah. In fact, I'd like to talk about that for a second. One of the, one of the most important things that, uh, that, that we want to be uh, getting out to, to the world is, is the creation of the Knoll Family Foundation. And what this entity is, is going to be, uh, what, what it's all about is it's a, uh, it's a treatment center that's going to be taking hold and, 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 uh, in 2018, it is a, it'll be a six bed facility located in South Orange County dedicated to treating, uh, uh, male musicians, any, you know, from anywhere around the world, uh, specifically for opiate addiction. And this will be a, a treatment center that, uh, for people who have no money and, and no resources. And so this is a nonprofit organization. You guys can check it out at www.thenolfamilyfoundation.org. You guys can donate on that website. We're going to be having golf tournaments. Uh, we're actually going to be, we're pretty excited. In a, in a few months, we're going to have our first music benefit show. It'll be locally either at the Galaxy Theater or at the Observatory. It's going to be freaking sick. I'm not going to announce who's playing yet, but it's going to be a bitchin' affair. And I'm, a, I'm about three weeks away from announcing who's going to be on this. It's going to be a reunion that's going to be mental. So it's going to kickstart what we're doing. And um, the Knoll Family Foundation is going to be all about helping musicians get into treatment who are suffering from opiate addiction. And uh, I'm, a, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a co-founder of that with Jim Papa Knoll. And I could not be more excited about this project. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. You guys, I'm stoked to be, stoked to be here with you guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And uh, just a quick, so uh, The Long Way Back will be available on video on demand platforms on October 17th. My anniversary. Awesome. Happy birthday, Johnny. <laughs> no, right. my wife. Me and my wife. Awesome. Anniversary. Happy birthday to both of you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. Thank you, guys. Stay key. Yeah. <laughs> right on.
I tried Vicodin, in Norco, Percodin, in Percocet, Oxy, Heroin, Fentanyl, Holy shit! Xanax, Thorazine, Morphine, a Valium, Pack my living beak like a Dyson, Vacuum, Insanity, Hard to explain, Raging ham spanking on a Santa Fe train Gripping in my suit, I really need some more Racing my sled to the CVS store Lying is deep and my skin is crawling Mom in front of me, her baby is bowling 80 milligrams of fear Thank you, copay, just get me out of here talking right now yeah you're talking bitch no oh, okay so we do a segment on our podcast where we recommend books comic books music movies so johnny i know you pick two things to recommend which seems a little bit like you're over trying to overreach a little bit i'm just a go-getter chris all right well, above and beyond so give me your so we can stagger it because i only have one thing to recommend what are you going to recommend Okay, I was jamming this in my car the other day and realized that uh, a lot of people might not have heard this. This is by um, Charles Bradley, and the name of the album is called Changes. And uh, really cool. It's, if, if you've ever wanted to imagine what Otis Redding sounded like singing Black Sabbath uh, Changes, you don't have to imagine anymore because he does a soul version of Changes that is amazing. Do you know how many sleepless nights I've had wondering that question? Dude, sleep like an angel now, Chris. Done. And you know what? As a treat, I'm going to end the show with the song. I'm, you guys don't even have to look for it. Just keep listening. Yeah. This is the podcast that keeps on giving. I'm a fucking giver. <laughs> All right. So I have one recommendation, and there's I'm going <clears> to <throat> give a little backstory to this. Uh, so this weekend, went and had... Uh, dinner at a friend's house and a friend of mine uh enoch harris who is now producing documentaries he actually next year there'll be uh, one coming out that he produced on uh, andy irons the great surfer uh but he was telling me we were having a conversation that i generally don't go looking for documentaries um i like them it's just when I might have time to kill and i'm surfing netflix or whatever i'm not going to the documentary section he told me that I needed to watch the film Valley Uprising, which is about rock climbing in Yosemite. And at the time, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what I did. I mean, I was feigning interest and it was like, oh yeah, okay, I'll check it out. I'm like, fucking rock climbing in Yosemite. <laughs> what kind of, dude, what are you trying to pawn on me? That sounded like the worst freaking idea for a documentary ever. Do you remember the Sylvester Stallone rock climbing movie? You know what? And actually... Yes, cliffhanger, and there is a reference to that in this documentary. So anyway. Where he saves the girl with, yeah. hey, with his hey. little tiny arms. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny, I'm talking about my recommendation. Okay, go Shut for up it. about cliffhanger. <laughs> so I was at home last night, and I'm surfing. Shocker. I know. <laughs> I'm surfing Netflix, and I see Valley Uprising. So I'm like, you know what? What the fuck? I'm going to try it. It might be one of my top five favorite documentaries. It is amazing. Who knew 
that rock climbing in Yosemite was so compelling. It is amazing. And it goes through the history of the rock climbing in Yosemite and rock climbers are freaking punk rock. Like, I mean, they living on the fringe of society just to fucking climb a rock. It's amazing. And the progression from scaling these mountains in like the sixties with ropes and hammering and anchors to people now climbing with no ropes up these freaking humongous rocks. Yeah, it's bananas. Yes, it is an incredible documentary. And again, that is Valley Uprising. Okay, Chris, I have the show that I'm going to recommend is also on Netflix. And, um, well, Making a Murderer was very, very popular on Netflix. And um, in the same light as Making a Murderer, how they break it down and showing you the evidence... There is a mockumentary called American Vandal. You know what? Actually, I saw that. I don't know anything about it, but well, I know what you're talking about. Well, let me just break down what American Vandal is. They try and make it look like they exactly shot the same way as Making a Murderer, only this poor student is accused of spray painting 27 dicks on all of the faculty's car, and he's like, I didn't do it. And when they're showing like the evidence against him, there's a girl like, um, he's a known dick drawer, and then they show him at they show him at like the whiteboard, and he's drawing penises, and then, and then and then his quote as he's doing it is another day another dick, and he's like it, it takes place in Oceanside, San Diego, and he's like dude they got the perfect guy casted to be, he's like look, you know, it it wasn't what the the deed itself was because I mean that's chill that's totally funny but the. The person that just let me get expelled for this, he's a, that's such a bitch move. Like, it's hilarious, dude. And that's funny. So when I was surfing Netflix before I clicked on Valley Uprising, I saw that document. I didn't realize it was a mockumentary. And I just, you know, you read the little blurb and it says, student goes after somebody who drew dicks in a parking lot. And I'm like, dude, what? <laughs> no, it's funny, dude. It's funny. Huh, I'll check it out. All right, well, that is uh, the end of our recommendations for this episode. Uh, coming up next episode, which will try and be quicker this next time, getting it out to you, it's going to be our spooky Halloween edition. Do, do, do. So we'll see you guys later.
Wish I could go back 